How do? Pablo here with this first episode of Pablo's Vault of Horror, the podcast. Uh, now, I do present a radio show, Pablo's Vault of Horror, on novaradio.co.uk, which is every Tuesday at 10pm till midnight. Uh, on there, we play some uh, terrific tunes, talk about nefarious news and some rancid reviews of any kind of horror-related thing out there. Uh, but we also do uh, the odd interview, very odd some of them are. Um, but recently I interviewed the actor and comedian Alex Lowe, who some of you may know from uh, stage and screen, uh, but more famous currently, I would say, for his work as Barry from Watford on the radio and uh, a certain Mr. Clinton Baptiste from Phoenix Night and beyond, who's currently doing a tour with, uh, well, as at the moment. Uh, so I've taken that interview and um, basically we're going to put that out as a separate podcast and there may be more to come. So I'll be back up at the end of this just to do some final business, but I'm just going to pass you to Pablo and an interview with uh, the lovely Mr. Alex Lowe. Over to you, Pablo. Pablo, um, I'm sitting now in the uh, palatial surroundings of Whitley Bay Playhouse um, with a certain Mr. Alex Lowe, who some of you may know as the paranormal clairvoyant medium psychic and uh, prober of our souls, Clinton Baptiste, um, also known as Barry from Watford uh, to some of you radio and uh, cheap, cheap, cheap fans out there, uh, as well as plenty others. But uh, right here with me now is uh, Mr. Alex Lowe. Hello, Alex. Hello there. Nice to, nice to meet you. Right. Well, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to this little chat. I know it's uh, a little bit uh, niche, but uh, much uh, appreciated. Mm. Um, no, as I, obviously, as I said at the moment, right now, the, the reason you're here is you're currently touring uh, Clinton Baptiste's show. Um, now, it, it, what's the um, general origin of that character? I know uh, it obviously appeared in Phoenix Nights many years ago. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, precisely that. I mean, I uh, many years ago, I did a show at the Edinburgh Festival this is 1998, which doesn't seem any time ago to me, but to your younger fans, uh, obviously that seems like ancient history. And uh, Peter Kay uh, came along to review it with former Pat Roach, who's an actor from Alfred de St. Pierre. Oh, this was the wrestling show? The wrestling. Yes, yes. And uh, so Peter got me, uh, well, we became pals, and we knocked around a bit at the Edinburgh Festival that year. And then he said, do I want to be in something called that Peter Kay thing, uh, which was the forerunner to Phoenix Nights. Oh yeah, see them all, I've got them, well I say I've got them all, but it's on VHS. Okay. <laughs> and not necessarily yeah, a watch. That's a funny old thing, that's steam powered. And um, then Peter phoned me up and said, have I got a part for you? And it was this Clinton Baptiste character from uh, Phoenix Nights, uh, which, you know, it was an awful long time ago, but in 2015 we did Phoenix Nights live at Manchester Arena for mm -hmm. comic relief. And I just said to Peter, you know, I'd always wanted to do Clinton Baptiste as, um, you know, stand-up character, cabaret yeah. uh, on the circuit. And Peter said, yes, that's fine. And uh, I have his blessing to do it. And I've got Neil and Dave's uh, blessing to do it. They've been to see the show. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's why I'm touring now, you know, because those guys happened me to do it. And it seems, thankfully, that there's still a thirst for it. 
Uh, I'm also quite gratified that a lot of the, this is rather long answer to raise okay. question. <laughs> uh, I'm also quite gratified that occasionally there are jokes in the show which sort of appertain to stuff I've done on my podcast as, yeah. as Clinton. So I kind of figure, oh, well, it's not just old Phoenix Knights fans. Well, that's it. I suppose technically, if you're kind of creating extra content on top yeah. of an established thing, then technically there's, there's I suppose, leeway there, isn't there? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, the original thing, I was only probably in it for about five minutes. So, uh, I mean, this is a an hour and ten minutes. This show, and I've done a lot of stuff and, and appeared on various things as Clinton, and uh, you know, did my my uh, podcast, as I say. So, you know, I've done a lot of work on Clinton since then. Yeah. Uh, I think just coming and doing the catchphrase for 65 minutes would be, uh, <laughs> yeah, would be a, a waste of, of money. <laughs> we could work your way through the entire audience just going nonce, nonce, nonce. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's funny, that catchphrase, it's like the most appalling catchphrase <laughs> yeah. to have. I'm always quite, you know, people often like me to look into their iPhones and, and call a friend of theirs a nonce, which I always think, oh, God, I don't want to do that. But well, well, technically, as long as it's in character, there's... there's uh, it know, there's, is, there's but it's not a very nice uh, expression, is <laughs> no, it? No, well, it's, it's, I suppose it's one of those things, and a lot of the, the, the stuff of me, so I love my comedy as much as I love my horror, and a yeah. lot of the, the stuff of the 90s, even the stuff that I love, you, you go back to some of it and you think, oh, crikey, that's uh, very near the nothing. Absolutely. I mean, I, well, you only have to look back at Little Britain, which was really mm. five minutes ago, and... I think, God, you'd never be able to do that now. Well, I know David Warrington, I know he said much on the subject, but Matt Lucas, he specifically said that, um, you know, if, if he was to do it again, a yeah. lot of the, the, the just wouldn't do. No, no. Um, and um, he even goes to the point of, like, he, I think he expressly apologises to people if anybody was offended now. Yeah. Seeing it, so it's, uh, well, yeah. obviously, it's, it's, as with anything, it's, you know, of its time, and I think it's, you know... I, I think sometimes these things are, you know, I used to do the 11 o'clock show in, mm. in the early early 90s late 90s um, and that sort of came off the back of the Ben Elton's and the kind of very right on sort of comedy that we seem to be having you know a return to now yeah. and I think that what happens is people say the unsayable in a postmodern ironic fashion yeah and actually after a while then people forget that you were being ironic yes. I always think that actually about Steve Wright in the afternoon which I appear on occasionally yes. as, as uh, Barry from Watford you know when he does the sort of factoids. That's been going for many, many years. And I remember when that started, it was an ironic. Yeah. It was an irony. It was like, uh, you know, it was a bit like smashing and nicey. Well, yeah, it's kind of like mocking the standard that's, radio that's DJ. That's it. And, it and now uh, it's just <laughs> part of it. And people have forgotten, you know, what, what when you were being ironic and when you actually put something out at face value. You know? Well, that's it. I mean, in many ways, it's like, I mean, obviously, like, you've got like Al Garnet. For example, yeah. the whole thing with that, where you probably had more people who were a fan of Al Garnet for the wrong reasons than were fans That's of right, the comments they were trying to make. What can you do? I mean, you can only put it out there. You're not really responsible for how people take it. You can try and sort of push them in a certain direction. But I mean, it's like, uh, I know Harry Enfield stopped doing loads of money, didn't he, when people yeah. started to, to, to turn up the... Well, that the Yogi's um, quoting it, basically. Yeah, of, um, and we're so proud of it, delighted with it. I imagine that Al Murray must have people come and see him and take it at face value. Well, that's it. I think with Al Murray, I mean, I follow him on Twitter, but I think he, I know he's kind of like, doesn't do it as much anymore, but I think he's, 
kind of got to the point now where the Millstone Rovers entity kind of takes it as a responsibility now that he's got to <laughs> yes. keep doing it because if he stops doing it, then it's going to be looked at in the, in the yeah, wrong way. I, it's very difficult, that. I mean, I, I did a gig down with David Earle, you know, who does Brian Gittins. Oh, yes, yes. And yes. I did a gig at his club, uh, it's not his club, his gig night. Uh, how long ago was that? I don't know, probably five, five years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I was playing Barry, and I did a, I had a sort of thing about Operation Trident. Yes. And how the Daily Mail, you know, they call it black on black crime, black on black crime. You know, it's not as serious as black on white crime or white on brown crime or black on white on brown crime. And obviously, you know, it was a, I was making a sort of anti-racist point. Yeah. But, and and, and but I, this always <laughs> just took me at face value and thought. I was espousing the uh, joys of the Daily Mail. Mm-hmm. And I came off afterwards and uh, Dan Evans, who's a brilliant comedian, was there and I went, what happened? Halfway through, I suddenly lost the audience. He said, no, you need to actually spell it out to these people. Yeah. I am saying that the Daily Mail is rubbish. You know, and you think, surely people have got the leap of imagination. No, well, some people are irony free, aren't they? Well, I suppose, and um, I, th- I suppose the one benefit you can take from that is at least they're willing to cheer in and uh, yell in their support. Rather. <laughs> that's right, that's right. But it was really odd. I mean, I literally, I've never done this before, but I literally had to ask the audience, why, why aren't you laughing? What's <laughs> happened? You know, I thought, and I, uh, and I think maybe it's something about Brighton as well. It's all they take themselves very seriously. Yeah. But I, th- I thought, surely you must realise what I'm doing. I've not... I mean, up until that point, I hadn't been goose-stepping up and down the stage. Yeah. You know? Well, I suppose, I mean, obviously, we're, you know, up here in the north, it's, uh, it's hard to really gauge, but I suppose, right, you can potentially, with some places, get so right on that you kind of potentially push over a little bit to the other side, you know? It's yeah, it's really tiresome, all that sort of right-on thing. I mean, well, look, you know, we could go round and round in circles about that, because that, that that's what people talk about the whole time, what can you say and what, can, what you can't say. But, as Ricky Gervais said the other day, you can say enti- whatever you want. And if some people are going to take it the wrong way, then it's up to you whether you care about that or not. Yes. So, no, uh, well, that's it. And uh, I think it's, it all just comes down to the whole kind of Bill and Ted logic of uh, just be excellent with each other. If everybody just goes by that credo, then yeah. it, it should even out the edges, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, but as you say, you know, I'm, I'm in character. And I mean, for example, with Clinton Baptiste, he says the unsable because he's quite clearly an idiot. Yeah. And you, you have to knock down the thing. You have to set the thing up to knock it down. You, you know. Well, that's it. It's all kind of punching down, punching up. If exactly. You, if you've established yourself as being below the down to the point where you're even like, ignorant of it yourself, yeah. then anything is fair game, really. Yeah, it is. I just tr- you have to trust the audience to know. Look, I come on with a, a bruise on my eye yeah. and, a, and, a, and a, a plaster. So the idea is he's got a smack for something. Yeah, you've established stages. I've established, right that's yeah. right. He, he sort of got what he deserved, you know. Well, that's it. Well, I mean, obviously, um, as you mentioned, um, Barry from Watford as well, they're from uh, doing it on Steve Wright and uh, Ian Lee's uh, yeah. radio show as well. And um, you also do a lot with Dan Skinner yes. with uh, Angelos and Barry. Yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, it's great fun doing that. Apart from anything, it's, it's uh, before we came on air, listeners, we were talking about stage fright. And, uh, you know, having someone there with you in the wings and on the stage is so much nicer than the horror of walking up to the microphone <laughs> on your own. And I suppose so, if you get that, that moment of 
like uh, if you go dry all of a sudden you, you someone know, can yeah you can give them a look and they can fill yeah, it yeah and also Dan and I improvise a lot we know we have, our mm. podcast is is uh, entirely improvised so it's lovely to sort of have a guy who's with you and not competing you know we mm. he, we sort of understand that you keep the ball in the air between you that's what's going to be funny not someone trying to undercut you well that's it in the back of wrestling it's like a tag team isn't it it is so. yeah exactly <laughs> that but yeah it's great being with dan he's a great guy and he's very very funny and the characters seem to complement each other and we have a bit of a following for the podcast and our live shows so yeah it's great fun yeah, and that, that was the other thing I was going to uh, sorry, just uh, <laughs> sorry, my phone's just gone into uh, sleep mode. It's still recording. Got it. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I, I've uh, listened to um, I can't remember what it was called Postcards uh, podcast that you were on, uh, where they were talking about um, yeah um, how you basically got into the industry, and it was um, if I'm not mistaken, it was by a, a certain uh, um, you know uh, legend and uh, uber lobby. Uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh. Yes, I, I when I was uh, a lad, I was a child actor, uh, and I was in things like Another Country, which is a play in the West End, and I did Mansfield Park for the BBC, which is a costume drama, uh, and these Adrian Mole cassettes, cassettes in those days, kids, mm. you won't remember those, um, and you know I did lots of bits as a as a lad. And then uh, something that my parents just thought was a hobby, really, mm -hmm. but it's anything I've ever really wanted to do. And I've managed to do it as a career up to now. I constantly think I'm going to have to stop at some point and uh, knuckle down and get a proper job, but I'm getting a bit too old for that now. Well, I, I will say, listeners, um, just um, checking back, because obviously I'm, I'm familiar with Alex's work um, in, in certain areas, but when I was having a little look through his uh, back catalogue, I don't think you, you've ever stopped working since 1981, you seem to have such a back catalogue affair. Yeah, but I mean, you know, that's partly, I'll get up to the Kenneth Branagh thing in a minute, uh, that's partly, you know, my upbringing, my parents are not, you know, theatrical in any way, and, you know, they sort of went to work at nine till five, and I've, I've always struggled with not getting on the train and going to work you know I, I don't leave any stone unturned to earn money and yeah I've got a wife and kids and a mortgage and all that but uh, yeah to answer the question yeah, so Kenneth Branagh I was in another country the play in the West End which later became a, a film uh, with him and Rupert Everett and um, I was playing Wharton who was the sort of dormitory fag of this public school and uh, then when I did my degree in drama uh, thank God for that. Someone with a degree in drama, just what the country's <laughs> crying out for. And uh, then at the end of that, I <clears throat> went to the Edinburgh Festival and I knew Kenneth Branner was up there with his Renaissance Theatre Company. Mm -hmm. And he came to see me in a play and said, look, do you want to come and join Renaissance? So I said, yes, I do. You know, I, when I left college, I didn't really have anything. It was yeah. Leicester Poly. It wasn't even like... Rather, it wasn't like we had well, a showcase. Well, I suppose that's one of the things, especially with something like a drama degree. With, with other ones, you kind of like you, you'd be set up in a, a kind of um, yeah, you know, graduate program, or, that's right, or some sort of um, you know, casual work leading you in. But with drama, you kind of like just you know, off you go. That, but that, I'm sure that's true of any artistic endeavor, mm. isn't it? There's no set way, which I always think is a bit of a frustration about kids at school now. There's this idea there's this sausage factory that you learn this, you do that, you get a degree. Even if that's true, I don't. I wouldn't want to live my life like that. That you just shunt to the next thing, and before you know it, you're in some 
boring job. No, you know, but that's it. You kind of spat out, and they've got yeah. the next eight years planned out for you. That's right. Care. So, uh, you know, it was a bit of a struggle, and 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 uh, thankfully, Kenneth Branagh just helped me almost immediately. And I and I had a year before I joined his theatre company, where I went and worked for Harrow Council, driving a, an ambulance for you know, taking kids to and from school. Yeah. And then during that year, I sort of, you know, got myself ready and uh, saved up a bit of money. Then I went on tour with Kenneth Branagh, and I became his stand-in for films. You know, I'm exactly the same height. Like blocking and things. Like yeah, that. that's yeah. right. So I would be playing uh, his role um, while he's behind the camera, like we did uh, Much Do About Nothing and uh, Peter's Friends. Well, I suppose in many ways though, that's kind of like a, you've got a continuous screen test going on there, which is uh, yeah. really nice. So you kind of get to show your range. That's right, and you know it was, it was always. I mean, there were people like I stood in for Sir John Gielgud at one stage, which is unbelievable. Well, I was, I was going to get onto that because um, obviously with, throughout your uh, kind of CV, yeah. I've uh, scratched films on a couple of horror-related ones, and obviously the one which jumped out at me was uh, oh, yes. Haunted from 1995. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where you where you were working with Sir John? Yeah, Gielgud. amazing. Yeah, that was Haunted, I don't know if anyone out there has, has seen it, it was a sort of very traditional horror, mm. uh, British horror film, sort of horror story meets love story, Yeah. Uh, with Kate Beckinsale and Aidan Quinn, whose name I forgot earlier, yes. and Anna Massey and John Gielgud uh, and Anthony Andrews, and it was it was pretty good really, and I it, it sort of came and went, like a number of films and things yeah. I've done. Uh, but it was a sort of, you know, one of those creaky doors yeah. slamming and giving you a fright. No, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I had. To be honest, I was, I was shocked I'd never heard of it. And yeah. unfortunately, by the time I'd, I'd read up on it, I kind of ruined it for myself. So uh, I won't give any spoilers away. So no. just get out there and watch it because uh, I think there's the, the odd uh, twisty twist in there. Yes, yes. Um, but it was all right. I quite liked Haunted. And uh, I think what happened was the distributors had put all their money into... What was it called? The Scarlet Letter? Was, oh, yes. Which kind of had died in Hollywood. And then it came out over here. And I think all the budget was on yeah. pushing that one. And our one got neglected. That's what I was told. And it sort of came and went in a very short amount of time. Although we had an incredible uh, uh, premiere where Princess Diana came uh, in aid of the Anorexia Trust yeah. or whatever that was. And it was thrilling. You know, for a while I thought, this is going to be great, this film. But like... Yeah, you cannot plan anything in this business. No, I mean, I'd say, I mean, it's, a, I mean, and, and I think even um, just look, looking through the general ratings for in the, you know, I think Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic, it's like yeah. seven point seven out of ten or something. Really? So it's, yeah, it's, it's oh, rated good, quite good, well. Good. Um, yeah, I, it was all right. Uh, and obviously, it was uh, Lewis Gilbert directing. Um, yes, yes, it was. Uh, you know, was it uh, uh, Educating Rita? That's right. Um, Reach for the Sky? Did he do? Yeah, Reach for the Sky. Three yeah. Bond films, including Moonraker, my personal favourite. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I was listening to him the other day on Desert Island Discs, uh, Lewis Gilbert, who's no, no longer with us. But, I mean, real sort of British bread and butter. Mm. I think he learned his trade when he had his national service or when he was in the army or something, and he was in the film unit or yeah. some such. And and I remember him like that, you know, for all the sort of Americans and the American money, he was a real no-nonsense. Uh, I'm not, this is not to belittle what he was doing, yeah. but it was there was no pretension yeah, there. Really. It was like... Here's the establishing shot. There's the two shot. He used to stop to, to hear what the Arsenal score was on mm -hmm. the radio. 
So the Americans are like, what's he doing? What, yeah. is that, what is this, football? This is monster. And I feel my character will do, do what's on the page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he'll, do it and he'll do it in half an hour when I've listened to the end of the football. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but he was great, and that was great fun. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, now, also, um, I, I did notice that, uh, obviously, connecting back to Kenneth Branagh, uh, yeah. you had a part in Mary Shelley Frankenstein, which I wasn't... I played, really, a very small part in that. I'd like seaman number nine or something <laughs> when the, when the, uh, the ship hits the rocks. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what happened was, because I used to be Ken's stand-in for a long time, and then uh, I thought, I can't do this forever and ever. And ever. You've got to strike out and do your yeah. own thing. And he said, do I want to do it on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Which actually, in the scheme of things, I probably should have done it because I would have earned some money. Yeah. But I was very, no, no, I can't do that anymore. So I came in and played a tiny part in that, uh, which, you know, after we'd been in Italy doing Much Do About Nothing, like the, season, the summer before, mm. I, th- I kind of thought also, I don't want to go to Shepparton. Not be paid as much, be freezing cold. Well, that's it, it's all right. I, I suddenly thought, right, yeah, do I really want to do that? And I think probably it was better to not do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a bad film, but it hasn't necessarily been, you know, clutched to the. No, of, uh, I, I don't think it was great. It had a sort of theatrical thing. The design was like a mm. stage design. Well, I, I think, I mean, I don't want to presume, but I think you were trying to go for that kind of like German. Um, Yes. Kind of, uh, not style, but the, the, the German style where yeah. it's all kind of yes. and, um, I know. I think he did. I think he was. I think that was a distinct. Because I think that's something. Uh, well, obviously not to compare the two, but something with like Cats, for example, which has been like ripped to pieces yes. by the critics. Sometimes people don't realise if something exists in one form, yes. there's a reason why it's successful in in that form. Yes. So, like, Cats works as a theatrical production because yes. it's theatrical. I, I think uh, that's like, true. As soon as you put that onto celluloid and try and copy that, it's you know, a lot yeah. of the good graces that people go, oh, look at the set design, look at this, look at yeah. that. They, they don't care about that when it comes <laughs> to film. It's just got to look real, and if it looks real, then people are happy. But that, as soon that, as they can see true. that artifice, it's... Uh, that, that is true, I'm sure, yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, now, obviously, you mentioned the Paranormal podcast uh, yes. that you, you've been doing this country Baptist, which is brilliant. Uh, uh, I must say, uh, look, I think my favourite, probably the, the last episode of the first season. Oh, yes. Where, where, where it all got a little bit scary. Ah, yes, um, yes, not, yes. Not to, not to play the type, but uh, but yes, I, I thought that was excellent. <laughs> good, good. Um, so it's, um, obviously, you did a Christmas special yes. uh, episode that came out just before Christmas there. Are yeah. there any plans for any more? I would love to do some more. People are always asking me. I'm delighted. Will I do some more Clinton Baptist Paranormal podcast? Uh, I will do. The only thing is... Unlike a lot of podcasts where people just churn it out week after week after week, it's quite a crafted thing. No, it is. It is quite a lot of production. There's a lot of production. And uh, it's with with the Hobsons, who are my voice agents, and and Jonathan, who who has a studio there. Mm. Uh, First of all, it's a lot of work for him. We would love some sponsorship. If there's anyone out there who wants to sponsor, uh, you know, the Paranormal Podcast to pay my engineer. but I, what I really want to do is, is we're going to try and shoot a bit of a sitcom on the hoof as we go around touring this oh, show. Oh, like a kind of like a... a yeah, sort like, of fly on the wall thing, yeah, documentary. Okay. And uh, also, I really want to, in 18 months, come out again with a new Clinton live show. Mm-hmm. So I want to start writing that. 
So I would like to do uh, the podcast, more of the podcast, but it's very time-consuming. Well, one thing I, I kind of thought of myself is, um, as for a film, a Clinton Buckley's film, yes. um, one thing, I mean, basically, it's the Clinton, but rather than having Ed Lorraine Warren, the paranormal expert, it's just Clinton Baptiste. So right. you can have an incredibly serious supernatural thing, but the uh, the kind of the, the Zelda or the the Warren character, yeah. just Clinton Baptiste being Clinton Baptiste. Great. Uh, I think it, it, it could work. Uh, How some, much do you want for that idea? Well, I, I, I'll wait on scale. <laughs> uh, I, I'll go and release. I just want ten uh, percent of a toy. Right. right. Brilliant. Uh, okay. I'll, put, I'll pull a Hamill. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, now um, obviously this being a, uh, a horror radio show, um, I'm. Uh, I'm afraid to ask, but are you a fan of horror in any way, shape, or form? Uh, am I a fan of horror? I, not like, you know, the League of Gentlemen, they sort of know all about yes, that stuff. Yes, yeah, the internet. These are proper uh, horror aficionados. I don't mind a horror film. I quite like uh, jumping out of my skin. Uh, I'm not mad on gore and mm. sort of ultra-violence. I like the sort of spooky stuff. Uh, my wife has the lowest threshold mm. for any... She doesn't like the feeling of adrenaline. Yeah. Whereas I love it. Uh, she, I mean, you know, we'll be watching something, a crime thing on TV, and the, the most exciting part, she'll say, "Oh no, I don't turn it off." I say, "This is the this is the best bit. Yeah, Clearly, this is the exciting bit." You know. So I don't get to see an awful lot of horror, but um, I, I, you know, I don't I don't mind it. It's not. I, to be honest, I'm not sure what I like really. I don't no, watch I think, much think, of anything. I think in many ways that's the best way to be. I mean, I've, I've kind of like, uh, I know when I was a youth, I'd kind of hammer my um, flag to the master in regards to yes. musical taste. And then as you get a bit older, you realise, well, it's not about what type of music it is, it's just if it's good or not. Yes, and exactly. That's what it comes down to. Exactly. Think, much the same with films. And and, um, and I think now as well, there is kind of like a, it's just kind of been slowly bubbling over the last 10 years, but there's a real resurgence. In, yeah. in the horror films at the minute, after the nineties, tried their best to completely murder. Uh, yes, the, the, the genre. Uh, but, what, uh, what what gets you? I mean, what why? What is your fascination with it? Well, I think it's the, it's just the um, kind of actualization of of fears, like the extremes. I, I think with with human beings, we're kind of hardwired to you know go about a certain way, and, and like we were talking about, you, you know, you kind of potentially live in it, live in a box of yes. safety, and yes. you know, there's this, that, and the other, and. You know, and obviously having children now is kind of, in many ways, I know a lot of people who don't really like horror now have had children, but, but to me, it's kind of um, intensified that kind of, you've got that fear of well, what could happen, you know, and you, you can't yeah. wrap your children up in cotton wool, and, and technically, you, you can't wrap yourself up in cotton wool, so with horror, you kind of get to live out that what if type of thing, and that's, yeah. that kind of, um, you know, I, I was listening to Richard Herron's podcast the other day, and he, he, he often talks about like kind of mad my thoughts about like you know when you're older children and say oh, I wonder what would happen if I pushed them off a cliff or oh, I wonder what God. happened if, and um, yeah. but it's looked into it and it's basically like, on a psychological level it's it's like a public information film in your subconscious yeah so it's it's not telling you to do it if you've got a voice in your head telling you to do that then Don't you see should some. probably <laughs> seek professional help yeah but it's basically telling you that if you were to do that these are the things that could happen, so don't do that. Yes, yes, um, yes. And yes. I think horror films are just a way of kind of like living that out in a kind of safe, yes, environment. Yeah, yeah. Way. Um, sure, sure, sure. But yeah, uh, and, and speaking on that, I mean, is there any particular like is there like one horror film that you're familiar with that you particularly like? Okay, I tell you what, I really liked uh, when when I was about fifteen, we went through a phase what what used to be called video nasties. Oh yes, yes. Uh, with VHS tapes, where you'd go and hire them from blockbusters or whatever. Mm. 
And the one I really liked was The Thing. You know, the remake of The Thing. Oh, John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Yeah. And when I realised now that there, there was no um, computer graphics, they built those, you know, that sort of oh, head that comes... Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. And it's amazing. I mean, one of the things as well with that is that it's uh, the, the oh, fuck all you know, with the thing. The the poster for the thing, which is such an iconic yeah. image. Yeah. Um, basically, the poster designer was called the day before and says, "Can you do a poster for the, the thing for us?" Yeah. And within one night, he did that, sent it off. So oh, there's a. There's so that's a bit of a, so stretched. Yeah, it's kind of like it's right. like it's very stark. You've that's got kind of like it. darkness and bright light behind. And, yeah. Um. And yeah, it's got kind of like the thing emanating from underneath the Parker hood. Right. Um. But yeah, but uh, it's a brilliant film, and I think the, there was the kind of prequel that came out a few years ago, and I think they're actually doing another one. Really. Um, there was a remake or a tangential linked one, but there was the prequel a few years ago, which a lot of people poo pooed, but. What I really liked about that is it, it was really faithful to the original film. Yes. It, well, the original John Carpenter film, in, in that everything that's happened in there when they go to the um, uh, the, the other camp and mm. found everybody dead mm. in their places, you get to see how they ended up wow. in those situations. Right. And I think a lot of people are just kind of like, oh, it's, they're using special effects, so I, I don't like it. Yeah. But um, if you actually paid attention to it, it really did bolster yeah, uh, John Carpenter's show. film. Um, yeah. But then they had like a spaceship and stuff like that so yeah, yeah. but other than that you know but i liked um poltergeist as well mm, yes that, that was kind of it was a heavy little roof wasn't it uh, yeah yeah uh, brilliant uh brilliant caroline yeah caroline <laughs> can't quite do it can't quite do it my Zelda is a little bit better but uh, <laughs> you know i don't want to get cancelled so i'm not going to do that right one. um now speaking of cancelled uh one question i ask all my interviewees Yes. Um, uh, so you've got uh, your Jason Voorhees, your Freddy Krueger, your Leatherface, and your Michael Myers. Yeah. Um, now one stays, but the rest are cancelled forever. No more any kind of content. All the previous films are deleted, um, and you know a generation or two later will be gone from uh, memory um, of society in, in total. Who would I say? So who would you save out of those ones? Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger. I I probably the concept of a nightmare mm. because I think when you're watching those things although you say it's a safe environment the one the one thing you can't control is will I wake up in the night well that's it and yeah. it plays on that fear so beautifully don't fall asleep because Freddy Krueger will come into your yeah. dreams uh, and I think that because I think that that is a very clever device that that's the one thing, the one way he can get you. Well, that's it, and in many ways, it's like when you think about it on paper, it's, it's one of the most horrific concepts, and then you build in the whole kind of you know, yeah. um, um, but it was sort of a, a hundred se- a thousand serial killers, and yeah. he himself is you know, he's, he's uh, sort of a, a bad boy. Um, <laughs> and uh, but then it, it's kind of like even, even in the first one, it kind of starts that way, but it really leans in in the later ones to become like almost like a comedy character, yes. And you kind of think, like, from all the concepts of the world, somebody who you know, a, a, a murderous child molester who'd come back from the dead to kill you in your dreams. I, I wouldn't really post that as a comedy character, no, but uh, no, it's, no. it's popularity leads it, it's the, it's the anti hero aspect, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I think that was the one. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's uh, that's brilliant. I'm uh, just uh, obviously with your tour at the moment, playing with the big playhouse tonight. Um, so uh, I believe you're, you're going through till June. Yeah, it, it, it's got longer and longer and longer, I'm happy to say, because we've sold so many tickets, mm. extraordinarily. And, um, you know, Phil McIntyre Productions just kept saying to me, would you fancy doing this one? And I was saying, yes, yes, I will, which is great. But, I mean, 
I'm sitting up here, it's freezing cold, rainy outside, I'm thinking I should be at home with my wife and kids. Well, that's it. But I've got to earn some money somewhere. Wonderful seaside town of Whitley Bay is, is not ideal on uh, February 15th no. uh, when it's raining. You but, may be able to hear the tickle and yeah, the, yeah, the tops at the moment. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, so, so yeah, it's going on and on and on forever. And luckily, I, I tour around with my tour manager and we get on very well. It's, you know, it's hours spent in the car together so if we hated each other that would be hell but luckily we get on very well and it's touch wood touch for micah we're all having a, a great time well, i think uh, i can't remember who it was now but i was I remember listening to an interview with a, a comedian and they were basically got on part of a tour and i think him and his support act fell out on the first night <sighs> and they still had like a 30 day tour yeah. to do and they just they, they, like slog through it in the end and i think i think it was on the very last show they kind of shook hands all right yeah, yeah it's very difficult i mean because you do spend so much time together, and then mm. you go to the hotel together and sit in the car together and set up together. The actual show is a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the day. It's all the other stuff you spend. You know, we just went and had uh, a lovely Turkish meal at that. Was it Turkish? Tur- yes. Turk-Naz. And it won Turkish Kebab Restaurant of the Year. Yes, so, uh, uh, I believe there's many Turkish kebab restaurants of the year awards. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't say niche. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. But it's lovely, it is. Yeah, yeah nice, we're really nice. And so, you know, we had we just had lunch together and we, we have breakfast together and it's all it's all great, you know. Oh, so. that's fun, that's fun. Oh, well, um, just to say again, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to this. Uh, again, thank you. Great to meet you. Um, is there anything else that you want to plug that's coming up or is there any new projects that you, you're doing? Not really. Doing? I would really love... Uh, Anyone to listen to Clint Baptiste's Paranormal Podcast. I also have a Patreon site called uh, Clinton Baptiste Spooky Nighttime Stories, which at the moment, as I'm on tour, features a lot of videos that I'm taking. Oh, right. Uh, but uh, the actual spooky element seems to have disappeared a little, <laughs> a little bit. bit. But anyway, if anyone's interested, I'd love you all to listen. Oh, well, I was just uh, familiar with that. I might uh, jump on that yeah. myself. Uh, oh, well, I suppose, well, um, I say thanks again, um, and uh, I'll um, hand over back to Pablo in the studio. Cheers. Over to you, Pablo. Ah, that was lovely. The lovely Alex Lowe there, um, who can be found on Twitter at AlexLowe51. So that's Alex. As you would expect, low L O W E and uh, the number five and one at Alex Low fifty one, and uh, you can find any more details in regards to any other projects. But as he says, he's going to be quite busy finishing off the Clinton Baptiste tour. Uh, at Clinton Baptiste is uh, also available on Twitter, and Barry from Watford is another character you can find on there. Um, well, very nice of Alex to speak to us, and uh, as I say, fingers crossed, we'll speak again in the future. Um, I do have another interview with uh, David Alt of the No Sleep podcast, which I'll be putting out at some point soon, and hopefully we'll have some more. If you want to follow myself, it's at Pablo Bonzo on Twitter, Pablo like the painter, Bonzo like the clown, and uh, if you want to have a listen to the usual Pablo's Vault of Horror radio show, that's on NovaRadio.co.uk every Tuesday at 10pm GMT. Uh, So uh, thanks very much for tuning in, and uh, I'll see you on the other side.